One, two, three. Test one, two, three. Test, test. That's okay. Perfect. Yeah, good. <laughs> All right, we're going to go ahead and get started if that's okay. All right, mine's working as well. So, yep. Okay, Perfect. great. Perfect. So I'll go ahead and get started. I'm Orrin Mechanic. I'm a physician as well as, uh, similar to Adam, an administrator. Um, actually uh, ran telehealth for quite some time in a large uh, medical center. Uh, transitioned over in the past, actually, a um, couple weeks uh, to a new uh, venture. Um, glad to be here. I'm actually Miami-based now. Uh, moved down from Boston just two years ago. So um, glad to uh, uh, have made the way uh, across the bridge from uh, Miami Beach. Yeah, and uh, I'm Beiju. I'm actually from Charleston, South Carolina. Wish I was from Miami now that uh, Oren's mentioning it. Lovely city. Uh, thank you for listening to what we have to talk about and uh, also uh, learning from everyone that has spoken in, in today's uh, uh, sessions. Um, so I'm a pharmacist by profession. I actually worked at a large academic medical center for the last decade. Um, and the answer uh, to Adam's earlier question is 42. I joke. <laughs> um, I actually uh, worked in informatics uh, for most of my time, uh, optimizing these EHRs and uh, uh, trying to train these systems to be uh, better um, predictors of how uh, clinical decisions should uh, be developed uh, using evidence-based uh, practices, allowing clinicians to practice at the top of their license. So. Um, I'm I'm not uh, uh, I'm not new to the the healthcare uh, tech space, but I uh, wouldn't want to say uh, I'm also uh, new to telehealth. In so far as I've I've just recently joined DocsyMe uh, for the last six months, working to develop their programs and uh, also trying to integrate the system uh, platform into uh, e the EHRs that we have today. So um, you know, since COVID, I just wanted to say since COVID, we've had um, uh, a lot of adoption for telehealth, uh, but now we're moving to a different state, uh, which is a different level of maturity. And so um, that's my role today is how do we integrate our telehealth platforms in in these uh, systems that we have. But uh, yeah. I'll Great. And uh, FX Campion, I'm a general internist uh, part of the week and a researcher the rest of the week. But uh, I think our my medical group's journey was pretty typical of a lot of physicians uh, across the country. Uh, up to the pandemic, we, I'm in an 800 physician practice where 
well developed on our large EHR and uh, have done pretty much everything you can do in clinical decision support and population health. So we were ripe for, for uh, telehealth. But we, at the time of the, up to leading up to the pandemic, really only had one pilot program in pediatric telehealth and one pilot program in behavioral health. So we hadn't gotten into the major cohort of uh, primary care medicine, uh, of which I'm a member of the staff. And so we had the crash course in that first two weeks, uh, like, like many of you may have had. Um, and we learned, you know, as we we're going, and I'm actually, you know, in retrospect, glad that we didn't take 10 years to do it from the time we started our, a pilot in internal medicine, because I don't know if we would have ever gotten there. But some of the things, you know, really basic things that we've learned is that uh, our physicians typically need to have more than one platform. So even though we're using a large EHRs built-in system with the patient portal, uh, it sometimes isn't the right fit at the, at the moment. And you don't know until you're actually trying to reach out to that patient or they're having a difficult time navigating. So we've always made sure every physician has two or three potential ways to get to the patient in addition to the plain old telephone. Um, and we're pretty nimble about that. Uh, we do document that as we go, uh, go along. Um, we try to have physicians avoid using their own personal cell phones. And early in the pandemic, that was actually one of the defaults that we quickly had to uh, move away from. And there's a few good ways of doing that, like uh, moving with DoxyMe or Doximity or something similar. Um, another important aspect is trying to make sure the patient um, uh, has an experience that's appropriate. And creating a sense of privacy is key to that. And so basic things like closing your door, making sure if you have a medical student in your room or a resident that's you know, under training with you that the person knows there's another person in the room. So if they all of a sudden hear someone coughing kind of off, uh, you know, off screen, they know that it's an appropriate uh, collaboration going on there. Yeah, FX, and I wanted to ask you about that a little bit. You know, I, I feel like, uh, you know, as I was getting my training in pharm pharmacy school uh, and, and, you know, working with uh, medical students at the time, um, we never really had any training with any of this stuff. And I, I suspect that maybe, you know, or in, I feel free to jump in, but I feel like this is something that's still repeated. You know, we, we don't, you know, a lot of this is, by the way, low tech, right? You, you, don't, you don't have to have a virtual background. Uh, you can actually put a screen behind you to kind of cover your room as a provider. But are these things being talked about in, in the schools and in the curriculum, you know, or how much of it is? That's a, that's a great question. We actually had to uh, formalize training pretty quickly. So this was March, and next thing you know, you have a whole GME class. So at our um, institution, it's probably a couple hundred uh, interns coming in. And so I, I was you know, standing up there presenting to everyone, and we're all masked up uh, how to do a telehealth visit, right? Because they've never been trained. And then you have the medical school where all of your OSCEs, the observed standardized clinical assessments, um, have to be done over uh, Zoom. And, you know, we've never done that before. Uh, we've never assessed um, medical students over, over Zoom. So really, it's hard to show empathy over mm. Zoom, right? Mm. So all of that had to yep. be uh, trained up pretty quickly. And we were learning as we were, um, you know, moving forward. So that's how we did, and I'm sure you had a... Uh, right, I think, I think we created, uh, we created uh, videos for physicians to watch. We had, because we couldn't even get together. The medical staff was, <laughs> we weren't having our weekly meetings, and so just even doing the training 
was a considerable challenge. Where are these Where are these huddles taking uh, place now? I, I wonder. So well, now we're hi everything's hybrid. So um, yeah. many of our physicians will have a, a couple of telehealth visits at the beginning or end of a session, and then they're face to face in the middle. Mm -hmm. uh, we mm -hmm. have some that have chosen a, a schedule where they're telehealth, you know, two days a week and face to face the other couple of days a week. So there's been a lot of uh, things worked out, um, and I think. You know, we're probably w uh, much better off and more resilient now uh, to meet patients' needs. I think a lot of our physicians, too, um, uh, like the evolution. Uh, if you have other obligations that come up in your own home or if you get ill, you can actually still, to a great degree, carry on business if, if, you're, if you're home. Um, so I think it's been a great learning experience, but we realize that there's still, you know, need to... Uh, to optimize the experience for patients. Mm -hmm. um, some of the things that are really basic is when a patient uh, doesn't connect initially, uh, we go to a great uh, extent to, ch to chase that patient down, <laughs> to call them a couple of times, to try their other phone line, uh, to switch your own device in case it's not, in case it's your device connectivity. And so we found that uh, in some cases, patients find the telehealth visit to be easier to no-show so it takes a little bit extra effort. Yeah, and, and we try to really think about access, and that we have two different models here. You are an epic shop, right, that has the telehealth built in. Um, we are a homegrown shop where we had to create something really quickly. So I, I think that there's this kind of uh, juxtaposition of uh, two different systems and seeing how, you know, we're both successful at the end. Um, we incorporated a lot of, you know, patients, their families, interpreter services to say, hey, how the heck do you want to do this, right? Uh, we, are, uh, we, ha we are obligated to do video visits, telephone visits. What will that look like to you, to us? And I think that that actually, you know, benefited us in the long run. But in the short run, it was really tough uh, for us to implement telehealth. Um, we ended up actually using patient navigators, and patient mm -hmm. navigators for us were helpful to actually onboard the patient um, to the telehealth uh, platform, reduce the no-shows and the cancellations and all that. Um, but you know, there's a real ROI to consider, um, and um, and you know, it was just something uh, to take. We didn't want our doctors spending a lot of time right. on the phone with the patient, and. So that was that was one way that we we addressed it. Right, least. and I think that's a really important uh, point. I just want to add on to you know the, you have to have these touch points that are significant for both the provider and for the patient. And you know I, I'm sure many of you guys have been uh, in in a in a clinic uh, at least in a brick and mortar or virtual, and you know I, I'm sure you've had similar experiences where you know last few weeks ago I, I actually we were talking about this earlier. Uh, went through a ver you know urgent care clinic experience, um, and then I went online and did the same uh, for a cough. <laughs> and it's you know one of these most basic things you think about where it's like I am trusting my provider to give me the best care possible, but through either modality I have to make sure that relationship is built on trust. And you know that's essentially what I think practice of medicine and, and any practice as a clinician has come to is like that patient-provider relationship, how do you amplify it? How do you, uh, you know, develop it so it, it, the patient trusts the encounter and the provider can build on that? And so um, going through this journey, uh, just for a simple cough, uh, I, I will say the, the experience on both ends, brick and mortar and virtual, was 
pretty horrible, <laughs> to say at least. I, I got some meds. Uh, I, I left home and I, you know, got treated and I, it worked out. But you know, um, going back to this this question of ease of access, um, I think for me uh, and maybe some others, uh, you know, uh, there's been demonstrated efforts uh, that this virtual platform and the, the brick and mortar as a hybrid can maybe enable patient care a little bit more effectively. Maybe it's medication adherence. Uh, you know, we've had use cases where uh, opioid use disorder, I think, has become about where telehealth has really helped provide adherence and compliance of, you know, uh, medications for these patients. Uh, maybe not creating net new patients, but at least certainly creating adherence, uh, or better adherence of, of these medications. What, what are your thoughts around that? Well, I would say that Definitely, uh, from a primary care perspective, helping to manage patients with uh, mental health and behavioral health disorders, particularly with med management, is really changed a lot with telehealth. So mm. if we start a new antidepressant med, we're supposed to follow up within 30 days. That's mm. kind of our, our, our expected standard. And it's much easier to do with telehealth to connect with that patient and do a dose adjustment at three weeks, four weeks, than to try to get them scheduled for a face-to-face because -face, mm. the face-to-face -face times were, were hard to hard to keep getting scheduled. Or I can see the patient instead of having to have my my PA see the patient for that adjustment. And I, I, I think that helps to maintain a little bit better continuity. Mm. Um, same thing with a lot of derm appointments. So uh, I had a, recently had a patient who's a, he's an adult, but he has a mental limited capacity because of his cerebral palsy, but he, he had a terrible cat injury, cat bite injury on his hands and came in with infections and had to start him on antibiotics, but um, needed to have a lot of observation of his wounds over short intervals. And um, three telehealth visits after that um, helped us to achieve a good outcome, but it was, uh, it was a little touch and go whether we were gonna have to bring him into the hospital at, at one point. Um, so I think telehealth can really help with continuity. Mm -hmm. What would you like to see change or maintain in, in the system? You're in Massachusetts right now. Uh, Massachusetts reimburses for telehealth, but some states may not, and Massachusetts may not soon. Medicare is considering some changes. So what are your all thoughts of, on that, especially as you're able to see a patient three times after an in-person visit? Medicare may say, hey, that's not a telehealth visit. That's just a follow-up in mm. kind. Um, curious to know your thoughts. Yeah, I mean, I, I can maybe kick us off there. Like, basically, uh, you know, I was talking to a pharmacist, actually, who is uh, under, working under a collaborative uh, drug therapy agreement with uh, physician practice. And, um, you know, one of the things he was saying was, and he, actually, it's funny, he's based in Massachusetts, uh, but one of the things he was saying was that uh, he prefers having the virtual uh, visit so he can see the the, the environment, the patients keeping his, you know, their medications in, what other medications uh, or supplements are the, is the patient using? More often than not, if the patient comes in, they may not be bringing that, those products into the office. And so you get to get this like sneak preview of the patient and maybe learn a little bit more uh, additional context over what, how you're gonna be treating them with all the information rather than, you know, maybe some information. So I think that was an important piece. Um, that you know, I, I kind of got from 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 the fact that you know, what if 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 reimbursement is being taken away and these sort of virtual visits are being taken away, what other context is being taken away as part of that? So, um, you know, I think I think there's there's going to be probably 
more to say about that, but I, I, I'd love to hear your thoughts, FX. Yeah, I think there's, there's just so much evolution that's already occurred, but if, you, if, you, uh, if you're ready, there's gonna be a lot more. When I think about these virtual first health plans that are now being birthed, we know that many young patients in particular are gonna choose these plans, um, and their obligation for a little lower deductible on their on their in copays is that they have their first encounter for their cough mm. or for, even for preventive services with a virtual provider. And that virtual provider will likely be in some kind of nationalized telehealth organization, likely not a local brick and mortar clinician. And so these handoffs, even within the primary care enterprise, are going to be one that, uh, you know, we're going to need to think long and hard about, particularly if the telehealth platforms between that entity and my organization are different. Because we, we, we would like to have a smooth patient experience. We'd like to have the EHR data to be common across. Um, but there's going to need to be a lot of work uh, around those types of collaborations. Yeah, I, I actually like the fact that you said work. Uh, so uh, going back to Adam's point on creating uh, ways where we can make it seamless for the clinician, but also build it into their workflows is important. Um, quick question uh, for both of you guys. Uh, so, um, you know, there's an article recently that came about that talked about AI and use of AI in terms of clinical decision support for some of these telehealth solutions. Uh, and I believe that there's actually AI uh, chat bot, a virtual bot that just sort of was announced. And um, you can actually go it online and interact with, I think it's Francesca. Francesca, I think, I think that's the name. And um, yeah, so just thinking about how can we maybe use these tools as adjunct to your workflow, um, so that you know, let, let's say you know you're you want to collect medication history for a patient and review it. Well, uh, now you save maybe 15 minutes out of your workflow to do that by capturing it in the intake process. What, what are your thoughts on So, so there, there's a lot out there, first of all. There's yeah. patient-facing, <laughs> clinician-facing. Right. Um, I'll tackle the physician-facing. And we keep going back to what Adam said, actually, because what, what he said meant a lot. We need to yeah. make the experience uh, in the hospital a lot better. You know, I'm an emergency doctor. Um, I use an EHR, and about seven different things pop up about should I consider a sepsis bundle, a uh, heart score for chest pain. I mean... There are just so many things that pop up. I end up either clicking all of them okay, yeah. just to move along. The patient is sick. I need to take care of the patient. Um, sometimes I click out of it. But now you're talking about cost of care just increasing because I clicked on three different bundles, and God knows what's in that, right? Or I'm clicking out of things that could have really just helped me out, like and maybe I could have calculated a heart score to risk stratify the patient and see you know, whether or not I should admit or discharge them. It gets pretty complex, but I think the EHRs, I, I think we're trying to put in decision support. We're probably not doing it in the most effective way. Uh, for me to finish the sepsis bundle two days after I admit the patient, it's just not conducive to anyone at all. Um, and so I really think that the, the physician-facing ones just need to be not made easy, but they need to make sense. Yeah. The patient-facing ones need to be safe. Um, there are a lot of patient-facing companies where you type in a bunch of your symptoms asynchronously. It'll use some AI algorithm to tell you what you likely have. But I'm an emergency doctor. I've diagnosed a 20-year-old with a heart attack. That will happen, right? And so if you're putting a chest pain for a 20-year-old, it may not necessarily spit that out because it's using artificial intelligence and it shouldn't spit that out. But we need to also make sure that we're not practicing population health when we're practicing doctor. We're actually practicing patient-centric health. So 
that's how I look at both of those. I, I like the answer of being very pragmatic about your clinical practice. So that's that's really interesting. Um, so so I guess you know looking forward into the future, uh, you know, uh, and being pragmatic about it, uh, what what is sort of, I guess what what is the next kind of like what's 2023 look like um, in terms of telehealth? I know we have a lot of uh, PHE kind of, you know, like regulations lifted from the federal level, maybe from a state level as well, and maybe organizational level right now. Um, but that's, you know, most likely a lot of this can be rolling back. Maybe, you know, some states like I think Arizona and New Mexico, they've, their state man mandates have sort of been kept in place uh, after, you know, PHE. So just kind of curious, um, it's probably going to be the uh, state by state, kind of. But uh, what are your thoughts in two? I'm, I'm thinking that a couple, a couple items come to mind. Uh, one is because the technology itself is becoming really a continuum of information between the patient and a provider organization. Mm. The relationship really is isn't really as much between a patient and a doctor as much as is it with an organization. And patients put their trust typically in a brand mm. of their healthcare organization. Often it's a local brand, mm -hmm. but now the the span of influence of that brand will probably include uh, the selection of technologies. And uh, and you, you were in a position where you had to select those technologies yeah. for your health <laughs> system and, and build Sorry. the ones that you didn't have. But uh, because there's now uh, chatbots that maybe would be the front door for mm. a patient coming in with a symptom, um, and there's no billing for that, but it's an add-on service of sorts to attract the patient mm -hmm. or to move them into a way where you can efficiently start to interact with them. So there's a you know different value propositions for different technologies mm -hmm. along there, and they don't all drop to a, a payment structure cleanly. I think the influence of the different payment models will you know give direction and shape to how organizations select technologies. I think there's going to continue to be more consolidation across you know the the slide we saw earlier about the platform idea is real and that um, connecting your EHR or your legacy systems now to uh, platforms that make sense across the patient's conspir uh, experience continuum I think is mm -hmm. going to be key and then the licensor issues I can't see how uh, you know we can avoid anything other than trying to get to a national medical licensure as painful oh as that might be I think you heard it first here. I think it's the right thing to do ultimately, but we need to right. build a structure uh, that's appropriate for each of our our uh, credentialed and licensed professions. Yeah, that, that's a that's quite a bold bold statement there for the universal licensure. I, I'm very curious to dig into that later on. Uh, but you know, I think I I'm sorry. Go is ahead. Is there a question or is that a five minute warning? Okay. Okay. Oh, right behind right. you, we're getting a, a five minute warning. Okay. <laughs> All right. Okay. Double signaling. Yeah, I love it. Oh, fantastic, yeah.
Right. Or just healthcare in general, yeah. No, I mean, I, I, I think that's a valid question. I, I don't have the answers to all of those uh, points, but like, I, I feel like it, it, it goes back to like, uh, we can use any technology, whether it's telehealth or any other sort of modality to kind of um, work together in collaboration. So like, as, as a pharmacist, former, I guess, pharma, clinical, former clinical pharmacist, or, um, it, it, it absolutely is, and I, and it's it's about collaboration, communication at the end of the day with the healthcare team. And so, like, uh, you know, I've often in the past uh, had great collaboration with physician colleagues as well as nursing colleagues to figure out like what is the best medication regimen for the patient. And you can't do it alone; it, it can't be in a silo, and it has to be as part of like a patient-centered approach. And so, I think telehealth allows you to do that. It, it maybe effects and Burren, you could speak to this, but you know, um, perhaps that allows you to kind of communicate uh, more effectively and also uh, remove some of those gaps in the transition of care that you often see in normal practice, in traditional practice, I suppose. W would you guys agree with, with that? Or? Yeah, I think if you're running the new organization in the future, uh, or that's right upon us, you're gonna need to lay down you know, what the rules of operation are for your providers. And, you know, interacting with, with the pharmacist is gonna be high, a high priority. And so when you, when you, yeah. Well, that's a, that's a yeah. good Yeah, and when you build too. your, yeah. you yeah. build, you know, attract the people who are mm -hmm. gonna work with you, uh, we need to have common understanding of the professional interactions that need to occur and make sure the workflow allows for that. If you, if you, um, have them booked out at every 10 minutes and they don't have time to return a call to the pharmacist, that's a problem yeah. too. So we have to make practical workflows. Yeah. Um, and, and I'll and finish down. it with, I think 2024, 20, 2025, we'll see an increase in quality of telehealth because I think that's ultimately mm. what we need. Uh, systems in place where, you know, I'm not just a doc practicing out of somewhere. I, I'm really uh, intertwined with, uh, with the health system and right. we need a system to, to make that happen. Yeah. Thanks for everyone's yeah. attention. Appreciate Thank it. You. Thanks again.